Now, let me give you just a little bit of a snapshot kind of where we're headed and then where we are uh, tonight. Uh, as you probably know, some of you know, uh, I've been taking uh, the last couple weeks out of the pulpit, not preaching, taking the whole month of July off from preaching. We thought that would be a really great opportunity to invite some guest teachers to come in. And so uh, we actually had my own dad was here a couple weeks ago. Pastor Travis preached uh, last week. Next week, we have uh, Pastor Wayne Taylor, who is uh, pastor of Calvary Fellowship, literally just right around the corner from where we are here in Shoreline. He and I have developed a friendship over the last uh, year. We've gotten coffee together many times, and he's just been a great source of wisdom and counsel for me as a, an older, more seasoned pastor. Really uh, excited to, to share him with you guys next week. And then after that, in the month of August, we're going to launch into a six-week study of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to do a sermon series called Teach Us to Pray, where we learn what did Jesus teach about prayer, what can we learn about prayer, and then get this, we're actually going to pray. Uh, it's mind-blowing. I know, right? Not just learn about prayer, but actually put it into practice. So that's kind of what's coming up for the rest of July and into the month of August. And then I'm really pleased tonight, however, to introduce to you uh, our speaker, Pastor Justin Schaefer. And for those of you who maybe are new and don't know him, yeah, you guys can hoot and holler. That's okay. That's all good. He's sitting right there. He can hear you. And those of you who didn't clap, he's noticing. He's going to call you out while he's preaching, right? No, Pastor Justin uh, was a part of this church body when it was Mars Hill shoreline for, I think he said, seven years on staff, and then three years as a pastor, uh, left in 2013 to go be a part of a, a pastoral training program, and then to ultimately plant a church, and he is involved in a church plant in Atlanta, and when we were talking and praying and brainstorming as elders a few months ago about the month of uh, July, and who would we want to have come teach our people? Justin was on the shortest of the short list, and that he was the first one we said, well, we want him, and then we'll figure everybody else out after that. So it's uh, with great joy that we're inviting him to come back, and not only to open up God's Word and teach us, but to share with us a little bit about what that church plant process has looked like and is currently looking like. So why don't you come on up on the stage, brother, and Sound City Bible Church, would you please give a warm welcome to Pastor Justin Schaefer. Thanks, Thanks Pastor Aaron. Thank you. How are you doing tonight? Good. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I never ever thought that I would preach from this stage, so this is really exciting for me. Uh, when Pastor Travis first suggested the idea that I might come back and preach, uh, I was so overwhelmed by the idea that I started crying uh, because I've led a lot of services in this room and I've taught a lot of trainings from either here or right there. Uh, and I've spent a lot of time in this room, but I really never imagined ever that I would get to preach from the Bible in this room, and I really love this church body. Uh, it was a huge part of my adult life, ministering to the group that is now Sound City Bible Church and has formed Sound City Bible Church, and so uh, this is just, this is a really exciting day for me. It's been really fun all day. It's been really encouraging, and uh, it's, it's a real honor to get to share with you from the scriptures, and I get to share about church planting, which I'm extremely passionate about. Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 28. You can turn there in your Bibles or on your device if you want. Um, but uh, just, I'm from the South now. Uh, I've been there for two years. So if any of you want to, you know, give me some feedback during my sermon, a little amen, or uh, that's right, or that's in my Bible, or say it again, or any of those, that makes me feel comfortable because that's the world that I'm in now. And uh, I really love uh, that sort of feedback. You know, when you're preaching to a bunch of folks and they look like, you know, they're going to sleep or they don't care about what you're saying, it can be a little bit discouraging. So we're going to be, let's, let's read the text together. Again, it's Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 28. It says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. 
And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. Let's pray together. Father God, you are good. Uh, You're powerful and wonderful, merciful. We praise you and we thank you that it's your will that you, uh, in your mercy, would allow us to gather as bodies, as, as churches, in specific times and places right now all over the world, Uh, to hear the preaching of your word and that you have given us your word as a mercy, as a kindness. Holy Spirit, we we thank you for inspiring the writing of of this scripture. We pray that you'd use it now, that it would not return void, but it would uh, transform our hearts, that it would show us a clearer picture of our Lord Jesus, that it would convict us and inspire us, and uh, that we would have a sense of his presence and that Jesus would be lifted up in our hearts through the words in Acts. And Jesus, we pray that your name would be glorified through our time here this evening. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so in 1964, 13 families in Bellevue got together to form a Bible-based church called Westminster Chapel. Pastor William Antisdale led the growing fellowship in a Dantown Bellevue funeral home. And by 1969, the uh, chapel and education building were completed as the 500-member church began holding two worship services. Uh, And the church still remains there in Bellevue today as a Bible-teaching, Jesus-loving church. After playing pro ball and ending up in Seattle, Ken Hutchinson started working with Westminster Chapel in Bellevue under Pastor Wilbur, uh, giving him a great opportunity to learn, and he served on staff there as a youth leader with the high school. But... After time, he started talking with some men about starting a church that reflected what they thought a biblical church should look like, a multicultural church for all people. So in 1984, they set out to start a new church called Antioch Bible Church. That's still, that church remains today on the east side as a multi-ethnic church that preaches the gospel and uh, is a leader, actually, in cross-cultural ministries. And then in the mid-90s, After becoming a Christian at Washington State University, Mark Driscoll and his wife Grace moved to the Seattle area, and they joined Antioch Bible Church and served in their college ministry. And then after he began talking with Leif Moy and Mike Gunn, they set out to plant a church in Seattle according to their vision of what they thought a church would look like. And they actually, Mark received a salary from Antioch Bible for three years as Antioch sent them out and supported them as they started a church. In 2006, led by a desire to see local gatherings of the witness of Jesus Christ through local churches, uh, Mars Hill decided to try to start a new site in Shoreline called Mars Hill Shoreline. Uh, yes, woo And uh, I was a part of that. And we started a, a middle school at, in Kings. And that church uh, began what was, became 14 different local congregations uh, across a few states. And as Marshall Marshall Shoreline grew, um, one of our best leaders, Mark Bergen, he was a community group leader. He was raised up and identified as someone who was gifted and called to be a pastor, and then he was trained. And then he felt a call to go to Chicago to start a church. So we we trained him, and we laid hands on him, and we had a huge fundraiser for him, and not, the corporate church supported him, and each of us, many of us individuals personally supported him, and we sent him off to Chicago to start the Painted Door Church, and that church still thrives today as a gospel-centered, Jesus-loving, church-planting church in Chicago. In 2011, Marcel Shoreline was able to lay hands on and send out Scott Mitchell to start Marcel Everett with 300 people and 13 community groups, and that church grew quickly to over 600 people, and their community groups grew, and that church had the opportunity to replant as foundation church and still remains today preaching the gospel and being a witness for Jesus in Everett. In 2015, this church had the opportunity to replant as Sound City Bible, and y'all are existing today in Shoreline as witnesses to Jesus Christ, preaching the gospel, making disciples, uh, and being, being a witness. So whether you are a member here, uh, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you are a visitor, today you're benefiting from a 2,000-year-old obedience 
to continue to spread the witness of Jesus Christ through gathering of new local churches that's continued on from the first century to 2015 and from Jerusalem to Shoreline. Isn't that pretty amazing? That's, that's an incredible reality. It's, a, it's, a, it's an exciting and dynamic and inc- amazing reality to think that we are a part of something that started when Jesus gave his disciples the Great Commission and has continued on until now, yes? Um, the question I immediately ask myself when I say something like that is, why has God chosen church planting as the vehicle through which to spread his, his witness, the spirit-empowered witness that's meant to go to the ends of the earth. Uh, I have a couple quotes I want to share with you. First is from Tim Keller. If you don't know who he is, you should look him up. He's super smart. And he really gets the gospel. So in his church planning menu, uh, Dr. Tim Keller says, dozens of studies confirm that the average new church gains most of its new members 60 to 80% from the ranks of people who are not attending any worshiping body. While churches over 10 to 15 years of age gain 80 to 90% of new members by transfer from other congregations. That's pretty astounding statistics. Joel Kaminsky in his book, Planting Churches That Reproduce, says, church plants need new people, new ideas, and new vision if they're going to emerge out of the darkness into the sunlight. Established churches tend to be more concerned about building up key, the personality of the preacher, who's on the board, and the program schedule for the upcoming year. Church plants are completely stripped of all illusions, do or die, reach out or close the doors, invite or implode. Church plants are desperate for growth. Without growth, the church folds. The reality, this reality keeps church plants on their knees crying out to God. So we see this dynamic where when you have a new church plant, you're trying new things and you're trying to reach new people and you have that flexibility to, and to, to reach people in new ways and spread the gospel in new ways and make people that maybe weren't that comfortable with a church that they've experienced in the past, feel comfortable to come check yours out. There's also an idea that maybe you can have some influence there or your gifts could be used there. Maybe all the leadership positions aren't all taken up because it's a new church and starting out and it's forming. There's a lot that's inviting and open. And for some reason, 60 to 80% of the people that come to new church plants haven't been going to church. So there's something awfully attractive about it. Uh, in his quote, though, Kaminsky says that new churches are stripped of all illusions and we have to ask ourselves, well, what are these illusions that he's referring to? It can be really easy to forget when you're coming to church on a Sunday or you're trying to be involved in a church that you're part of this dynamic, spirit-led witness that's spreading across the world. You can easily fall into thinking about what can the church offer to me? I mean, think about the society we live in, right? We, we have a serial aisle, we don't have a serial section, we have a serial aisle, right? I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's really huge, right? I mean, it's long. And you've got sugary and healthy, you've got protein rich, you've got fiber rich, you've got a main brand, you've got generic, you, you can get it in a bulk bag or you can get it in a small box or a medium box or family size box, right? You no toy toy. I mean, it's like, it's ridiculous, right? But that's the world we live in where we're being told constantly that we should have a ton of choices and that we should make the choices that benefit us most, right? And that's the world we live in. And so we're, and we're constantly being marketed to and told we deserve the best for ourselves and that it's just a, almost within reach. And we're constantly being told that. And so it's easy to bring that into our involvement in a church. And if we allow that heart to come towards involvement in church, we can ask ourselves questions. Um, these illusions that we bring to worship on Sunday, we could say, you know, do I like the music? Do I like the space? Is it comfortable? Did I like how they greeted me? Did I like the parking situation? Do I like the kids' programming? Do I like the programming at all? Does it meet my needs? Do I like the preaching? Am I being fed? Have you ever heard anybody say, oh, I just wasn't being fed. I just wasn't being fed. Uh, they weren't feeding me. Uh. Um, right? Everybody says that. Uh, that's a consumer mentality we bring to this dynamic spread of the gospel that's been going on for 2,000 years. It's, it's sad. It's not the cereal aisle. It's... God's spreading the gospel through gatherings of local people. So when we, when we think church is primarily about meeting our needs, not primarily about the Spirit's witness, um, it can lead to wanting to keep all of our resources towards ourselves, right? Like we want to make our church better, our programming better. We want to have all the stuff that's going to be best for us. Hoarding, but not sending our best leaders. It can lead to uh, being frustrated if, we, frustrated if we encounter hardship while we're trying to get involved in community. You know, like, so you try to get involved and it was hard, so you just give up and you go find a new place or 
you start to get involved, but you don't like the people, and so you go find a new place. Um, you can start to look at elders and pastors as service providers, not as fellow sheep who've been called to a specific role that need to be commended to God and prayed for and encouraged. Um, and then you can also, you can lose a kingdom perspective where you're only celebrating what happens at your church. You're siloed off. Um, you're not happy about other church plants or other church growth, and you only want to celebrate the things that are happening at your church. Now, this text that we're in today, I think, really challenges these illusions and offers a dynamic, exciting, holistic view of what it means to be a disciple and to be involved in a local church. Uh, because though we're in Acts, Acts is the narrative that Luke wrote. It's the story of the very beginning of the church. It's difficult to just teach right out of a section. I feel like I need to give some context, right? Because the story's happening that we're just jumping into in Acts 14. So I want to start back at Acts 1 and get the idea of why, like, why the heck is Paul here? Why did these guys chase Paul from another city to stone him to death? What's going on? So Jesus says to his disciples in Acts chapter one, verse eight, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So all the events in Acts are working out of this promise that Jesus has given. And it's important to hear what he said. He didn't say, you guys are awesome. I've equipped you with everything you need. Go out and preach the gospel and plant churches in Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, the ends of the earth. He says, the spirit will come upon you. So we find these guys waiting in this upper room and praying and the Holy Spirit drops on them and then they preach this awesome sermon in a bunch of different languages. And it's not like a super friendly sermon either, right? Like I'm a nice guy. When I imagine sharing the gospel with somebody, I always imagine, you know, we become friends first and we get to that point and, you know, and then they ask me something and then, and then I'm gonna like give them this nice picture of who Jesus is. Peter just says, you all killed the Messiah. He was here and you killed him and you're guilty. <laughs> Repent and believe. And 3,000 people become Christians. So that challenges me a lot sometimes when I'm thinking about maybe just be, always being like the nice guy in my evangelism. Like sometimes we just need to tell people that they need Jesus. Um, and uh, Peter did it, and 3,000 people got saved, and that was the beginning of the church, and it was awesome. Another thing to, to know about the spread of the church, and this is important for all of us, sometimes church planning and the spread of the gospel happens despite us, right? Uh, despite issues in the church. It's not always a happy, fun, happy, clappy sending right? When we, uh, and, and we're not always being obedient in our sending. So we find that the early church, the reason they've spread out to these other cities and spread the gospel is because they got persecuted and they all fled. And that's actually, they scattered and that's actually how the gospel went out. So uh, God will be faithful to spread that gospel, whether we're courageous or not. In this situation, he spread these people out to these different cities through the persecution that broke out and they're scattering. So they find themselves in Antioch, and they're praying, and it's a beautiful thing. Uh, in the beginning of chapter 13 in Acts, it says these guys are hanging out. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, that's Paul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So this church, they were keenly aware of their position within this spirit-led witness that's spreading out. And it's, it had come to Antioch. And then as they pray and as they open their hearts to the Lord and they listen to the Lord, he asks them to set aside some of their very best leaders, probably their best leaders. I mean, Paul, you know, he wrote most of the books of the New Testament. Um, so he's a pretty awesome dude. And they have him set these guys aside. They're a new church. They're, they're like, wait, Holy Spirit. They didn't say, actually. They, they, we would have said, wait, we're just forming. We're just getting our feet underneath us. We need these guys to help us figure out what we're doing. I can't send them yet. We're a brand new church. Like the gospel just got here. But the Holy Spirit says, set these guys apart and send them on, and they obey. Uh, and that's an incredible thing to see, that if, if we're committed to prayer and fasting and worshiping the same Lord that commissioned this witness to go out, we're going to hear, send your best. We will hear that when we're praying. And sometimes we might hear, go. You might, he might be sending you. Or we might hear, pray for these leaders and send them out or support these leaders financially or help build training processes that can help identify folks that we can send out to continue to spread this gospel. And, but if we do pray, we are gonna hear that because it, this, this is the work the Spirit's doing. The Spirit is empowering this witness to go from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Um, according to the Gordon-Conwell Status of Global Mission Report, 
It's a report that comes out yearly. 29% of the world population has never heard the gospel. No access to the gospel at all. That's 2.1 billion people. No clue, right? It's very different than the cereal, right? We have a cerealized situation where you're choosing which church you want to go to. They don't have any Cheerios, not even a half a Cheerio. No gospel. And uh, in King County, where, where we're at right now, out of inten- the census in 2010, out of 1.8 million people, 1.2 million checked the no re- religious affiliation box. 1.2 out of 1.8. And only 204,000 people claimed evangelical Protestant. Um, that's out of 1.8 million people. So just in this area right here, tons of work to do. And that's not including Snohomish County. That's just King County. Tons of work to do. As far as the world goes, 2.1 billion people are waiting to hear the gospel for the first time. So if we're listening and we're praying, we're fasting, we're worshiping the, the Lord who's commissioned this great work, the Holy Spirit is going to be sending us or telling us to send folks, I promise. Uh, so this is the work Uh, of expanding Jesus' witness through church planning. And as we jump back into the text here, you know, you might be saying, okay, Justin, that's cool, that's exciting, but you don't know my my circumstances. uh, It'd be hard for me to be involved or to be supportive of church planning, or, you know, you don't know what we've been through in our past, uh, in our church experience, or what's going on in our marriage, or what's going on with our job, or what's going on with our health. Um, But Paul might be able to uh, identify with you. Where, Where was he at again? What's going on with Paul? It says, Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So that's where we find Paul. He's just been, they thought they stoned him to death. Um, That's his situation. And so what we find is there's really no bad situation for deciding to go preach the gospel at a city, because this guy was, (laughs) he's he's facing a terrible and awful situation. Um, There's really no reason to to ever forget that we're a part of this constantly growing, constantly expanding witness of Jesus Christ through local churches. Um, Combined with that, though, here's this incredible encouraging word it says here. It says, hear this, this is incredible. But when the disciples gathered around him, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. So, yes, he's in a terrible situation, but he has this community that comes around him and surrounds him and encourages him, and that's what we should find in the church. It's not a place where you have to pretend like you haven't been stoned to death. It's a place where you can be real about the circumstances in your life. If you are having, if you have had terrible experiences at, at, with the church or with spiritual authority, or if you ha- are having trouble with your marriage, or you are having trouble with work or money or your health, this is a place where you can be really real with each other. And we can bring our honest baggage because what's the prerequisite to being a Christian? Being a sinner, right? Like Jesus came to save sinners. He didn't came to, come to save the righteous. He came to save lost people. And so we are a people that identify first as sinners that need a savior. So if you come with problems and you're broken and you're weak, you should find a sympathetic ear here because we all are broken and weak. That's why we've clung to Jesus Christ as our savior. Yes? Yes? So what happens when you are weak and you confess your sin? Maybe you're bitter about the things that have happened to you and you can be honest, you can be real about your bitterness or your frustration about the circumstances in your life. What do you hear back from gospel-centered, Jesus-loving Christians in a church community? You hear, yeah, Jesus knew you were gonna be like that. He knew exactly what you were gonna do. He knew you were gonna be bitter and he came anyways. He saw what you were going to do and he chose to come and die in your place and to take your bitterness on himself and to give you his righteousness and now you stand clean before the Father and you're perfectly reconciled and you're adopted and you have all the hope and all the love and all the joy and all the peace that's yours as a child of God. That's what we hear, right? That's what we say to each other. And so this should be, the church family should be a place where the beaten down uh, want to come to be encouraged when the disciples surround us and encourage us and lift us up. And, and also I should say, if you know any pastors or people who are called into the ministry of spreading the gospel, proclaiming the good news, making disciples, planting churches, and you see they've been beaten down, be those disciples who surround them and encourage them to get up and support them and love them and pray for them. So these disciples surround them, they get up, they keep going on, which is awesome, right? Such bad dudes. I'm really impressed by these guys. 
And, uh, and they preached that gospel that I just said, right? It says they, when they had preached the gospel to that city in the next line. So they are preaching the gospel, the good news that Jesus is Lord, that he left heaven, came to earth, was born a baby, fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life in our place, the life we could never live, died the death we should die on the cross in our place, has resurrected to prove that the entire, the entire penalty, the whole penalty for sin has been paid. There's not any little bit extra you gotta work off. There's no more shame. There's no more work to do. He's finished it completely. He's defeated death. He's defeated Satan. And now he's resurrected and he's ruling at the right hand of the father over his new kingdom, right? That's awesome, yeah. It's the that's the gospel. And so they go in, when, into the next city and they preach the gospel. It says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So the first thing they do is they proclaim the gospel. And then the next thing it says, they had made many disciples. So I think this is just such an incredibly important point. It says they'd strengthen the souls of the disciples and encourage them to continue in the faith. Again, that faith is the faith we have that Jesus is Lord, that he died for our sins, and that he resurrected to feed death, and that he's reigning. That's our faith. And, uh, but they don't look past making disciples to plant churches. And I think that's really important for all of us to hear, especially leaders. Um, there's not some machine out there that's going to produce new churches that we need to dedicate ourselves to apart from seeing the individuals that God has put right in front of us that he has gathered into the church, the people with names that he has chosen, that he has called to disciple them and love them as the witness. We are the witness. We're the witness. We're the people. That's it. There's no, there's no other plan. Um, we're, we're it. <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh. We are the witnesses we've been waiting for. It's us. And so it's extremely important to see each person to be, it's, it's long, hard work to walk with people, yeah? You know, but there's nobody else. We're the ones that he's called into the church. We're the ones he's gathered. So we have to love one another and disciple the people he's given us. And it's not about making, you know, we're not cogs in a wheel in some sort of machine that produces new churches. We're human beings with names that God has written our name in his book of life. And we're precious. And so uh, we need to view each person as a precious and important part of this expanding witness. And anytime we get caught up in the idea that, you know, some other, you know, the idea of church planning is the thing and not the people are the thing, we've really lost sight of things because we're, we're both the means and the end. Does that make sense? We're not, we're not to be used as, towards some sort of end that's different. We, we are the end, gathered people. That's what it's gonna be like in Revelation at the end, right? Tons of people gathered to praise Jesus, but they're people. Um, so that's huge, really important. Paul and Barnabas also uh, warned these newly forming churches that they have to face many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. And so uh, I don't know if you've shared the gospel with anybody lately in the society, uh, maybe told them that Jesus is Lord, Lord over their lives, or that there's a real heaven or hell, or that he's died for their sins, which means that they have sins. It's just not the most popular thing to say, right? Yeah? Is it popular? You guys have a good time saying it? I don't. I want to. Uh, I was reading the Bible out loud at a Bible study really loud. I was reading out of 1 John, and I said something about the devil really loud, and I was like, man, you don't say the devil out loud very often in public. Um, you know, right? We're, it's, it's an uncomfortable situation in our society to claim that God is alive and that he has an opinion about your life, Right? It's very uncomfortable. And so if you are someone who's gonna be a part of the, the witness here in Shoreline as a part of this local body or wherever you're from, then you're going to face tribulation. You will face backlash or persecution for your faith. You will. Jesus promised it to his disciples. He taught about it in John all the time. He said, the world will hate you. They hated me. They're gonna hate you. And here, this is exactly what's, you know, you're gonna be kicked out of the synagogue. And when they kill you, they're gonna think they're doing service to God. Remember that I told you this when it happens. That's all he says. <laughs> you know, like that's, remember I told you when this happens, so you know that it's part of the plan. Um, so it, it does happen. And then I, there's another way tri we face tribulation as we try to be involved in a local church. Have any of you tried to love other Christians in a church community? Super easy, right? Just like, we just all get along great, right? No. 
We, like I said before, we're a group of sinners that have been redeemed and brought together as a church. So we have all sorts of baggage and it's very difficult to defer to one another and forgive one another and be hospitable to one another and be generous to one another. It's hard work, right? So part of the tribulation is just trying to be faithful, to be involved in a local church. That is hard work. And if you're committed to it, it will be hard. Um, and, and if you're not committed to it, then what are you going to do? You're going to go to the cereal aisle. You're going to pick out something more sugary. Shame on you. And then it gets even more difficult because some of these sinners that we're involved in a local church with were supposed to submit to his elders. What? Uh, like there's, there's a group of the sinners in our group that have been given the role and the authority to oversee us. And that makes, that's even harder, right? Uh, he goes on, he says, when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Um, the idea, we're a, rebel, we're a rebellious people. We, we just celebrated the 4th of July, right? We won the rebellion. Um, let's shoot off fireworks. We beat those British, ha <laughs> ha, right? And now it's summertime in Seattle, so we're gonna celebrate pirates. And, uh, you know, we love our pirates because we are independent in Seattle. Down with the man, except for when he gives us a job. But mostly down with the man, right? Um, <laughs> You know, Starbucks isn't cool because it's the man. I go to a local organic something coffee shop, or right? That's Seattle, right? We're, re we're rebels. We love independent music. No, no mainstream levels here. Macklemore made it from the ground up, right? Um, we're, we're fiercely independent people. That's our society. Also, inside of us is a rebellious spirit that doesn't want to obey and submit. And the word submission, I mean, hear that word. It gives us the creeps, right? That's just not a comfortable word in our society. The idea of submission is very difficult. Um, not only is it hard in our hearts and not really part of our society, but many of us have actually had legitimate and actual experiences with those in the church abusing their positions of authority over us, right? Can we get real? Amen? Anybody? Um, and maybe if you haven't, you know somebody who's had an experience where people have used positions of authority in an abusive way, and, it, and we're hurt, and we have baggage, and we carry that. So the idea of overseers leading us can grate against us. Um, but it, choosing to believe the scriptures call to have elders over the church is not necessarily a faith in them. It's a faith in God, Amen. right? And so um, as we trust elders, what does he say? He says, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord. So they didn't commit the elders to their skill. They didn't commit the elders to their unbreakable character and their perfection. They committed them to the Lord. And so as elders are committed to the Lord, we trust that the Lord will use them in, their lives, in our lives for better or for worse. But we trust that God is sovereign and that God uses these things. Um, this is really personal for me. I've experienced this extremely deeply. Uh, it's difficult for me to submit to elders now again, now in Atlanta. I'm doing it, but I do it tentatively because um, my, the final days here at Marshall Shoreline before I went off, they were really hard for me. Um, I had just been asked to take on more roles within the church. Uh, one guy had quit and another guy had been laid off and uh, I had just said, hey, I, I feel called to planning in Atlanta. And they said, yeah, that's great, but could you stay for a year and could you do all these guys' jobs? Um, and the lead pastor wants to go on a sabbatical and we're not gonna pay you anymore even when you're doing three people's jobs. But we're gonna support you generously in your church planning at the end of this time. And I was like, awesome, okay. I wanna leave well. I want this to be a, a positive experience. You know, I'll, I'll wait around for you. Year seems like a long time when you're excited to go, go start something new, but I was like, okay. And, uh, and they're going to support me. This is going to be great. And so I take on these, these jobs, and I'm working super hard, just pouring myself out, uh, leading services, running our biblical living, doing the executive pastor role, just doing all sorts of stuff here at the church, really working hard. I'm at my end of my abilities. Like, my whole plate is full, and I have a pretty huge plate. And, uh, and towards the end of the summer, one of the executive elders who had proposed this idea calls me, and he's his little check-in, and he encourages me, and then he says, oh, I, you know, I just want to give you a heads up so you're not disappointed when you find out. Uh, your financial support's not going to be anywhere close to, like, your friends who've been sent out to plant in the past, back when we were more into 
like supporting local church plants and not supporting just new Mars Hills. And I was like, what? Like, I thought you guys said you're gonna support me generously. He's like, well, it is generous. It's just not nearly what we used to do with the old guys. And uh, I didn't want you to be blindsided by that and, and I didn't want to surprise you. And I was like, I just started crying, actually. I just started crying on the phone with him. And he was understanding, but said that's the way it is. And uh, I remember just being devastated. Uh, and, and I got really bitter. I got super bitter. Um, and didn't really trust the folks around me very much. And I carried that bitterness around for quite a while. I don't remember exactly how long. But fortunately, uh, the lead pastor, former lead pastor here, uh, Steve, he had, we had a conversation and he identified that bitterness in my heart and he, he kind of shined a light on it. And I remember being like, oh my gosh, I've chosen, I've personally chosen to sin in response to what's been done to me. I have a responsibility to trust God in this. And so I remember repenting of my bitterness, just turning from it. And it's huge, like, it's incredible how physically bitterness, what bitterness does to you physically. I literally felt like 100 pounds go off my shoulder. I'm like, I felt like I'd been carrying something, felt so much lighter. It was great. So, okay, I'm like, all right, I'm not bitter anymore. Things are good. And I'm moving forward. And then I have a meeting with executive elders again where I, I've presented my church planning proposal. And they're like, this is awesome. You're gonna do so well. You know, you should just hit the ground running. We really encourage you. Everything's great here. And you know, we're gonna give you a $20,000 check to help support your church. And I was like, wow, 20,000, that's really great. Some of the guys, other guys who were leaving at the time were getting much less than that. Um, it was still like a f- less than a third of what we'd done for guys in the past when we'd sent them out. But I was really happy with it, mostly because I knew the big chunk of my money was gonna come through the people that I'd loved and shepherded for seven years in Marcia Shoreline. And I was gonna fundraise with them and they're gonna take care of my family and they're gonna send us off and everything's gonna be great. And so towards the end of the meeting, one of the executive elders is like, no, this is all of the money that Mars Hill as a church is going to give you. I was like, what do you mean by that? And he says, well, we are the stewards of, of these folks and their money, and we want them to be giving uh, their money towards these things, and you get this amount, and that's all we want you to have, and you're not going to be allowed to fundraise. And I remember just being like, Pan- panicking, right? I'm trying to like move. I'm, I have a family of five. We've got three kids. We're about to move all the way across the country on some crazy, risky you know, thing that God's called us to do. And I'm like, you know, everything's flashing. How are we going to pay rent? How are we going to survive? What are we going to do? Um, and so I argued with him for quite a while. And, you know, it was like, what about, you know, and I was like, you know, here's the thing too. It's like, I knew what the people are like here. And I was like, Shoreline will give above and beyond. They're like, they're awesome. Whenever we have an extra thing, they always keep their regular giving the same. And then they'll, you know, don't worry, it's not going to hurt the giving. And they're like, no, that's not what it's about. And we argued and argued. And, uh, and so when we finished, they just said, you know, we got to agree to disagree. I had said, God's not going to bless us. This is a bad decision. I was really very convicted that they were wrong. And, uh, and they said, well, we'll have to agree to disagree. And I walked out of the meeting thinking, for sure, for the good of my family, I was going to quit and fundraise anyways and tell everybody how selfish and mean the guys were and try to make them look bad and, you know, cry foul and raise money anyways. I thought that was, I literally thought that was, you know, practically that seemed like my only option. I needed money to go plant a church, right? How else was I going to get the money? Um, but I prayed about it and my wife and I prayed about it and I prayed about it with the lead pastor here at the time and, and God convicted us that we were supposed to submit. And, uh, you know, if you ever, it's one thing to submit to something you agree with, but to submit something with you really disagree with, that's hard, right? It's hard work. It like, I agreed to submit, and then the whole time while I'm trying to submit, like, my, it was, like, leaking out of me in the side. I'm trying to, like, you know, it was like, bleh, you know, bleh, you know it was, like, kind of shooting out of me. Like, I, I was trying to keep it down, but it was very difficult because I absolutely disagreed. I disagreed to this day. I thought it was a bad decision. Um, but you know what? God took care of us. He provided every last thing we needed. He provided every dollar we needed. He provided a miraculous part-time job for me to work at. Ask me about that later. I'll tell you the story. It's amazing. Um, he provided an incredible local church that ended up paying our health insurance, which my wife ended up with breast cancer like a month after we got health insurance. Thank God. Um, and everything was taken care of. And it still is taken care of. We're not, we're not fat cats. Um, but we have everything we need to do the work, you know, to be generous with our neighbors, to, to love our family, to pay the rent, to eat. And God's taking care of everything. Um, and that's because God is faithful. And so it's not, I, I want you to know that it's not outside the realm of reasonable possibility that God might call you to submit to elders you absolutely disagree with. That might be something he calls you to do. Now, sometimes you might be called to, 
you know, these guys, there, there wasn't any clear sin, right? They had an opinion about what they should do with their money. I had an opinion. So I wasn't like, I wasn't in some place where I wasn't, I was hiding sin. I was in a disagreement. So if they were in sin, it would be on me to, you know, you want to call out sin if you see it, right? Um, I don't want you to, I don't want you to hear I'm telling you to submit to elders that are abusive or doing something really terribly wrong. But when it's a difference of opinion and difference of ministry philosophy or how you ought to do things, um, we can be called by God to submit even when we vehemently disagree. And he can use that for the building of our faith and our character. And he can provide everything. He's the one who restores. He's the one who provides. He's the one who guides us. He's the one who does everything. And so it's, it is something that you can do and you really can't uh, be a holistic disciple that's involved in a local church that doesn't kind of fit this model that's describing, like part of the exercise of growing as a disciple is submitting to elders. Like it's just in the scripture. Like you can't do some of the things that the Bible tells you to do unless you got some elders to submit to. So you gotta find some. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I love that Paul says, we committed them to the Lord. So that, that's what, you know, you commit, fellow, they're fellow sheep. We're all fellow sheep. We're all following the chief shepherd, Jesus. But they've been called to that role and it's a heavy role. And so our encouragement, our committing them to the Lord, our prayer for them, um, it's really important. It's really important. Uh, for me in, in Atlanta, I've been really tentative with the other folks around me, but it's been, it's been a great experience because I've seen the baggage I bring into it and areas that I need to learn to trust more. And they've continued to grow and, and draw me in and help me to trust more by their actions and their honesty and their humility. And it's been a beautiful thing. Um, but I wanna share that with you so that you can be encouraged that it's really God that we're trusting when we trust the leaders of our church. Then he goes on to this awesome, exciting end part where he says, then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atelia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he'd opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. Ah, this is so awesome. Paul and Barnabas end up going from city. They just got, they were supposed to lose. They got stoned, you know, Paul got stoned and almost died. But instead what happened was they planted a bunch of churches. That's, I love, <laughs> that's so good, that's so good. Um, you know, Jesus always wins, right when you, like, you know, it looks like he lost on the cross, but then boom, resurrection, he wins. Um, you know, it looks like Paul's down, but then bang, a bunch of churches get planted, it's so cool. And then they get to go back to, the, to this church that prayed and set them aside to send them out for this work and celebrate all that God had done. And now here I get to be with the church that sent me out to celebrate all that God is doing. And I just thought how neat this scripture is that I get to preach from it while coming back to the church that sent me out. Now, I gotta say, I mean, caveat, I haven't preached, or I haven't planted like five churches. Um, I'm planting one church. Uh, but we are preaching the gospel and we are making disciples and we are strengthening them and encouraging them in the faith. Um, and it's really neat to see that all that's God's doing. Since y'all have sent us out to Atlanta, uh, we got plugged in a church planning residency with Renovation Church. They're a transcultural church in Atlanta. Uh, we're, we're, what we call ourselves is Jesus-centered, transcultural, and socially conscious. And uh, we're, we've learned so much sharing uh, church life with people who come from different ethnic and cultural backgrounds than us. It's been incredible for us. And we just... Uh, we see what an incredible witness that is to the watching segregated city around us that, that says, why are these people together? Why are they deferring to one another? Why are they loving each other? Why are they serving each other? They're so different. It would be so much easier if they would just do worship the way the one group wanted and worship the way the other group wanted and split up. Um, but they fight to, to do everything together and to show that there's a new ethnos, a new community that's being formed in Jesus Christ. It's so exciting. And uh, we've, con we've been shepherding a group of people on the east side of Atlanta, um, which the southeast is, uh, it's, it's actually one of the most, per almost perfectly down the middle, you know, 50% white, 50% black neighborhoods in Atlanta. And uh, we've had such a rich and wonderful time gathering this group of people there together that are excited about the gospel. That were, you know, first interested, why are these people gathering like this? How, how come these people are together? And then they come around and then our only answer is the good news. That's the reason we get together like this. And they're like, that sounds amazing. I wanna be part of that. And people are following Jesus and they're growing as disciples. 
And because we're part of only a four-year-old church at Renovation, our new church, Renovation Eastside, we are keenly aware that we're part of a church planning movement. There's no, there's no idea, you know, they're not, nobody's asking me what our programs are, right? We don't even have a building yet. Um, everybody's excited about being part of a gathered group of people that will be a witness for Jesus on the southeast side of Atlanta. And so when they're thinking about themselves being discipled, they're thinking about themselves in that trajectory, in that whole thing that the Holy Spirit's been doing for the last 2,000 years. They're aware of it. And so they're not only asking, how can they be served? But they're also asking, how can I be developed to be a part of this witness? And it's so exciting. It's so wonderful to see the choice. Some people have chosen to move into, you know, half section eight, uh, half market value uh, apartment complexes just to make relationships with people of lower uh, socioeconomic status or different racial groups. And um, they've become real friends, like not just charity, like real friends, like sharing life together and being in it with each other. Um, and other folks, uh, they've learned how to be honest with their neighbors about the gospel, um, having people over all the time, but then having those difficult conversations where they're telling them what they believe in a society that thinks we're crazy. And we've seen, we've seen backlash where they've been kind of ostracized in their neighborhood when they were loved before. Um, but we've also seen people kind of amazed and wonder and interested in how they could believe something like that and coming around. So uh, we, just, we continue to see a ton of fruit. We're a, we're a majority minority core group in our, three, in our three groups that are starting this, which is, as a white guy from Seattle, that's just like a huge blessing, right? Like how could I, I've like fell backwards into this thing. Um, it's a huge blessing. And uh, we just feel like we live, we're being carried on um, in prayer, answered prayer, like constantly as God just brings people to us and leaders to us and gives us favor. We're doing a backpack drive with the local um, middle school and a bunch of restaurants are getting involved to, to give a percentage of their income on one day to help fill these backpacks, which is creating this favor that we have now in the neighborhood. They're thinking we're really awesome and then we're telling them about Jesus and we're talking about the church and that's been really fun. We just feel like God's constantly doing awesome stuff with us. Um, and, and no one in our core group, well, most people in our core group, they don't see their discipleship process or their involvement in the church as anything divorced from what the Spirit is doing to spread the local witness of Jesus Christ. And so I feel like that's, I wanted to summarize it in one statement to leave you all with, uh, that the Holy Spirit didn't gather us into this body apart from his purpose to empower a world, worldwide witness. He gathered us for his purpose to empower a worldwide witness. The Holy Spirit didn't gather us into this body apart from his purpose to empower a worldwide witness. He gathered us for his purpose to empower a worldwide witness. Amen? Yeah. That is so much more exciting, right? If we were just a cereal aisle option, that's just boring. Might as well go to like the Elks Club or, you know, some self-esteem program, right? If we're just another, but, but if we're connected to this, the Holy Spirit-empowered witness that's spreading from, to the ends of the earth, that's exciting. I want to invite people into that. It's, it's, it's fresh, and there's life blown into it. It's wonderful. So how can we apply this to our lives as a church? Number one, be a praying church. The church in Antioch was praying, and God said that, asked them to set aside folks. So be a praying church. Ask God, how does he want to use this body the people in this body, your gifts, your prayers, your money, your time to spread the local witness, whether it's sharing the witness with your neighbors around you, whether it's sending church planners, whether it's encouraging new church plants and other pastors around, be praying. Number two is grow as a holistic disciple. And what I mean by that is not just a disciple that's asking how the church can benefit you, but a, a disciple that's really giving yourself over to being a part of this dynamic work that the Holy Spirit's doing. That's saying, I want to be developed to help this church continue to spread the witness to the ends of the earth. Um, also, making sure that you have local elders to submit to. That's part of being a holistic disciple. If you don't have any elders to practice submission with, then you gotta find some and get submitting. Do it. And the other one is to support church planning. So financially, prayerfully, whether it's starting, um, you know, processes in your church to identify and train and send out leaders, whether it's just praying for them, what's financially supporting them, um, support church planning and celebrate God's work in and through church planning like we're doing today. This is so fun, right? God's doing stuff. He's spreading, he's sending people around the country and starting new things. Um, it's fun for me to get to, to celebrate this with y'all. And, um, 
And we need that fellowship as church planners. You know, we're kind of out on an island sometimes. And to know that there's other people praying for us and supporting us and excited about the work that God's doing and that they're behind us, the, the unified church um, excited about the spread of the kingdom of God, that's encouraging to us and it's really important. And it should be important to you too to remind you again that you're a part of this dynamic, amazing work that the Holy Spirit's doing so that you're constantly being reminded if you're celebrating church planning, right? That, that this is a thing that's happening that you're a part of. You're not just sitting in a comfy chair on a Sunday and, and consuming programming, right? Um, and that's the vision, right? What if we all got that? What if we all embraced that together at once? We were a unified church that, that was praying and giving ourselves over to a holistic discipleship of, of being involved in a church in a way that sees yourself as an integral. Like, we, we need you. We need every last little bone and joint working together to build up the church, right? An integral part of the witness locally here and then spreading that witness out and that we were supporting church planning. It would be exciting, right? You couldn't stop it. Um, it'd be People would notice too, right? If, if people, everyone expects us to be consumeristic about church, but if we were really uh, embracing the dynamism, the excitement, the wonder, the power that's involved in asking the Holy Spirit to be with us as we witness, uh, church could be really exciting and people could notice and it could really stand out and, and spread the witness of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Let's pray together. Father God, you are so good, so kind, so merciful. Um, you don't need us to spread your witness. You, could, you can make the rocks cry out and tell people about Jesus. You could give everyone on earth a vision of Jesus right now if that was your will, but in your sovereign wisdom, you have chosen us broken vessels to be your witnesses on this earth. And it's an honor and it's a wonder and it's a joy to get to be your people, your church that you've gathered to point towards you. Um, the scriptures say that when we love one another, uh, your love is perfected in us. Even though no one's ever seen you, they see you in us when we love each other. So we have this incredible honor of getting to be your church and show the watching world the unseen God. What an, what an amazing thing. Um, we pray that you would uh, empower us, that you would excite us, that you would show us our gifts um, whether it be administration or care or teaching or uh, hospitality or whatever our gifts might be, I pray that you'd show us what they are and that you'd show us what you'd have for us and uh, how we use our resources and our time and our prayers uh, to embrace what you are doing to spread your good news to the very ends of the earth. And we pray that Jesus' name would be made much of in this city, in this county, in this state, in this country, and all the way to the ends of the earth. I pray these things in his name, Jesus, amen.